Hi, I'm Mark DeMoz, one of the teaching pastors at the Mosaic Church of Central Arkansas, located in the University District of Little Rock's Urban Center, 72204. Welcome to our podcast. Founded in the summer of 2001, Mosaic is a multi-ethnic and economically diverse church where significant percentages of black and white Americans, together with men and women from more than 25 nations, walk, work, and worship God together as one. Learn more at mosaicchurch.net. The following message was recorded live at Mosaic as part of the He Gets Us series in the winter of 2023. Thanks for listening. For those of you online, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you guys tuning in. For those of you here, thank you for your incredibly passionate hearts of worship. And you know, I'm reminded that that's exactly what the nation of Israel did on Sunday. They had just experienced one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world. You see, God delivered them out of Egypt, and then he delivered them from the hands of this really powerful army by splitting the Red Sea right in two, allowing the Israelites to walk through, and then he basically destroyed the entire army that was coming after him. What does that have to do with He Gets Us? Because we've been on this series, and the series has been all about how Jesus knows us, He understands us, He relates to us, and we likewise can worship and trust Him because of the fact that we know He gets us. He understands everything about us. And this morning on your handout, you'll see you got a a passage of Matthew 4 there, we're just barely going to touch on that this morning. Because everything that Jesus did in this passage to resist the testing and overcome the trials and the testing of the enemy himself is born out of the story we're going to talk about this morning of the nation of Israel. And so if you have your Bibles with me, with you, open up to Exodus chapter 15, because that's where we're going to start. I'm going to take you on a journey this morning of the nation of Israel, and we're going to talk about how they worship just like we did this morning, wholeheartedly, with all passion about what God has been doing on Sunday. But on Wednesday, when they weren't really getting everything they hoped to get, When God put a little pressure on them, it was a different story. All right, so you want to take that walk with me? Let's start with the first slide. Notice this. They just celebrate God after this great miracle. And it's, I will sing unto the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God. I will sing of his goodness of God. Amen. God is good. He just delivered us. He will reign forever and ever and ever. I will praise his name. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. The party ends. Look what happens. Just a few days later, we're picking the story up in Exodus 15. Look at verse 22. So, They partied on the other side of the Red Sea. Then three days later, they went into the wilderness. Guess what? There's no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people what? 
grumbled against Moses. And so they praise the Lord. He is good. He's my strength. He's my song. He's my salvation became. (coughs) Praise the Lord. I need some water. Right. And, And all that praise and worship on Wednesday became, okay, Moses, yes, God is our strength. God is our deliverer. But where is he? I need some water. And it became grumbling. Isn't that typical of our first response to testing? Don't you just imagine it became harder and harder to sing that song as they were worshiping God on Sunday, but on Monday, it's a little bit harder. And by Wednesday, nobody was singing. It's like, I am too thirsty to sing. I've got to have some water. Moses! Grumble, 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 grumble. And you see, really at the bottom, I've got a map there, right? It shows where they are. They only traveled about 30 miles. Remember, this is 2.4 million people. So it's be like us getting like central Arkansas, millions of people, and marching up to Conway. It'd take us three days. We'd probably go about 10 hours a day, 10 miles a day, very slowly, right? And so that's all it was, Monday to Wednesday, from celebration to grumbling. And God hears their cries. How? Because he said, hey, Moses, take that branch, throw it in the water. I'll turn it from bitter to to drinkable water. And everybody's happy then, right? Hey, God is good. Yes, he is triumphant victoriously. We will praise his name. Amen. Hallelujah. And then to top that off, God also blesses them with this next slide. He takes them to Elam. Oh, and before he does that, though, he tells them this rule. He says, look, I am about to test you. The Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So it's like God said, okay, this was a test. First three days, I'm going to let you slide. I'm grading on a curve, right? It's like, I'm even giving you the answers to the next one. And what is it? Okay, first of all, no, you're going to be tested. I'm testing you. And when I do, you better listen very carefully to my voice. You better obey me very carefully and keep trusting me as the one who delivered you on Sunday. And then when Wednesday comes, I want you to keep trusting and being dependent on me. Now that word test in the Old Testament means this, to prove the genuineness or quality of. It's not like a test like what we know, where we fill out multiple choice, where it can be easy. No, this is hard stuff. Tests are never easy when they come from God. They're meant to squeeze us. They're meant to put pressure on us so that we 
can see the genuineness of what's really inside ourselves. Okay, it's like in the New Testament, it's called being refined, right? You put, your, put the metal into some heat, it refines the metal, it brings the dross to the top. The same thing is here. It's like, I'm going to put some pressure on you, and we're going to see how true those words were that you sang on Sunday. All right? So, the good thing is, God was gracious. He let us know. He gave us the key to the, to the test, right? He told us what was going to happen. And then even more so, he gave us a little break. So he brought them to Elam, which is just another couple of days away. And they look at what it says. They had 12 springs and 70 palm trees. So he basically allowed them to hang out in the oasis in the desert. How cool is that? And everybody started singing again. Hey, God is good. Life is good. He is good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Until they had to set out again. That's the end of chapter 15. Look at the beginning of chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Foreboding music. That's that's called foreshadowing, right? Anybody that tells you you're about to enter the wilderness of sin, it's never a good thing. And look, it's just like a couple more days outside of Elam. What happens in the wilderness of sin? It's another test. Look at the next slide. So that's verse 1. Look where we are by verse 3. Israel said to Moses and Aaron, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembling with hunger. They they made it three verses (laughs) without complaining. You know what we call this? The response was rosy retrospection. That's a real human phenomenon. Psychologists say when we are faced with difficult circumstances, you know what we do? We look back at our other difficult circumstances with rosiness through rose-colored glasses, and they're sitting there going, Man, if we hadn't left Egypt, we'd be sitting next to pots of meat every night. We would have more bread than we could eat. We'd be full of bread. And you know what God is saying, right? Uh, Do you guys not remember the 400 years of oppressive slavery? Do you not remember the cries of the generations for you? Asking and begging me to deliver Israel from the oppressive slavery of 400 years? See, that's what trials do to us. That's the testing. Presses on us, we grumble, and then we start looking at our past through these rose-colored glasses going, man, that really wasn't as bad as I remember. I wish he'd have never brought me here. And you're sitting there, usually, you know what those statements are? They're at least. Hey, at least I had some bread. At least I could sit next to a pot of meat. At least I did this. At least, what are you saying? But guess what? God hears and he's gracious 
again. So this time, it wasn't water, it was food. But look at what he does. Next slide. I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. But remember, this is all a test. And when you go through that hunger, when you realize that I'm testing you, I want you to listen very carefully for my voice and obey my words and keep trusting me. And the whole rest of 16 is, you know what God did? He spoke the word manna and bread covered the ground. It's stuff nobody even knew what it was. They're like, hey, our father, forefathers don't even know what this stuff is. What is it? Hey, you can actually eat it. You can make a sandwich out of it. This is bread. <laughs> I mean, it just out of nowhere. But God made all these conditions for these, this provision. He was like, okay, you can only gather as much as you can eat just for the day. If you try to store it, it's going to go bad on you. However, if you gather it on the day before the Sabbath, it'll keep for two days. And then you want some meat? Let me show you some meat. And he had whole flocks of birds, quail, land on their camp. How cool is that? And now God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yes, he is good all the time. He's going to chase me down all the days of my life. He's been faithful, except for when I was hungry. <laughs> And all my life, I, you have been faithful, except when I get hangry, man. Don't try, don't try me when that happens. And God was so gracious to provide. All of 16 is his provision. And then we get to 17. Verse 1 again. All the congregation of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. So God, look, as it says, according to the commandment of the Lord. So God was like organizing them and moving them out in groups, getting them to where he needed them, according to the commandment of the Lord. And then they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So again, we're back to test number one again. No water. So let's see, you have bitter water. I gave you water. They threw a log in the, in the thing, and now you got water. And then I took you to the oasis. You had palm trees and shade. Now I let you get a little hungry. Then I provided meat and bread. Now I'm going to go back to test number one and see how you're doing. Now that you know this is all a test. And what happens? Again, two verses later. They don't even make it a couple of days in the wilderness without water, but the people thirsted there for water. And there it is again. They grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And he, Moses, named the place Massa and Meribah because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, I want you to imagine how incredibly offensive that was. We're probably no more than two to three weeks 
past the Red Sea. Just think about that. Today's Sunday. So today, God parts the Red Sea, and we see the greatest miracle ever in the history of the world, and we're all celebrating God. But then by uh, third week in February, after three tests, we're going, is God with us or not? After all he did, and why this is so offensive, is because they tested the Lord. Remember the definition for test? Go to the next one. To prove the genuineness or quality of. And why this was so offensive to God was because finite, limited human beings were calling into question the genuineness of the faithfulness of an almighty, omnipotent, sovereign God. Do you not think that was like, what else am I supposed to do to prove to you I am the Lord your God? Why do you put me at the test? And remember, this is all one-way testing, right? God can test us, but we cannot test God. It moves in one direction and one direction only. He tests us for a reason. And when we start questioning that test, start questioning his genuineness, when we start testing him and going, are you really God? You say you're God, but I don't believe that's really you. That is downright sin. It is the opposite of faith. And he wants us to trust him more, not less. He wants him, he wants us to do just like Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted with all this stuff, you know what he said? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's where he's reading from. The story is exactly the story he knew when he was tested. It only gets worse from there. <laughs> I hate to say it. Because now Israel has tested God. And just a couple of days, days later, they're at Mount Sinai. And you know the story. If you don't know the story, go home and watch the movie. <laughs> or you can read Exodus all the way up to 32. Because what ends up happening is they camp out at Mount Sinai Moses disappears and goes to the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. God is delivering for him so much. He gives him the Ten Commandments on tablets. He gives him all kinds of law and stuff. And you know what's happening back down at the camp? They're going, is God with us or not? I don't think Moses is even coming back. And you know what they do? Hey, we should find something to worship. Let's all throw our gold together. We'll make a golden calf, and that's going to be our God. This is the one that actually delivered us out of Egypt. And God tells Moses in chapter 32, they've turned aside. They've made them for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. So not only were they grumbling, not only they had that rosy retrospection, 
retrospective, they also tested God and then they misplaced worship. They substituted God for something else. That's called idolatry, by the way. And when that happens to us, it's no different than us worshiping God on Sunday and on Wednesday, things bad things happen and we're being tested. Our faith comes out and you know what we do? We turn to something else. I don't even have to tell you what that something else is because it's different for every person. We're all wired so differently. But you know what it is because God is speaking actively through his word and you already know what it is we tend to turn to instead of God. And it breaks the heart of God. Do you know what happened after that? God sent a plague. He fulfilled everything he said he was going to do. Remember, he said, hey, there's a test. If you listen, if you obey, if you trust, none of the plagues that you saw happen to Egypt will happen to you. But you know what? They went from grumbling to testing God to replacing God. And so he said, all right. And he sent a plague on Israel. That's Israel. Jesus did the exact opposite. And if you look on your sheet, the first thing the enemy tried to do was get him to turn stones into bread. If you're really the son of God, and you're hungry, aren't you hungry? Wouldn't that be so good? Turn those stones to bread. And Jesus was like, you know, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God wants me to eat. I'll eat. All he's got to do is speak a word. Manna will appear. I'm going to be more dependent on him, not less. And then he said, hey, if you're really the son of God, throw yourself off of this place and let God rescue you. And it's like, that's the same thing Israelites did back in Exodus 17, right? He was like, you, you know, just not put your Lord God to the test. It's offensive to him. And he wants me to have more faith, not less. And then the enemy was like, more desperate than ever. It's like, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything here. And he responds back with, no, you shall worship the Lord your God, and in him only shall you serve. That's the right response to testing. So, when you are faced with the next test, because it's going to come probably sooner than you think, probably on Wednesday, <laughs> remember what you sang today, how good God is, how much he's been faithful to you, how all your life he's been faithful, the goodness of God. And remember these things when you face those tests. Number one, deepen your dependence in humility on him. Trust him more, not less. And wholeheartedly worship him like no other 
especially in the midst of all those deep, trying times. Why? Last slide. That's what Jesus did in the face of tremendous testing. Go and do likewise. Lord, we thank you for your example. We also thank you for the bad examples because they so nail us as human beings. We grumble, we complain, we test you. We tend to have these rosy pictures of our past from places that you've delivered us and forgive us, oh God, when we replace you with whatever it is we worship sometimes because we sit there thinking you're nowhere around when in fact you are there. You've always been there. All my life, you have been faithful and forgive us when we doubted that. And we pray, oh God, that we would withstand the tests, that we would listen carefully to your voice. We read your word and just look at the example of Christ and that would strengthen and encourage us and give us hope for the day. And no matter what happens, that we would keep trusting you, worshiping you joyfully with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. I hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message recorded live at Mosaic Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Take a moment right now to subscribe on your favorite platform and get our podcasts pushed right to your device each week. We welcome your comments. If you live in central Arkansas, we hope you'll visit us soon in person. And thanks also for considering our financial needs. To donate, visit mosaicchurch.net. That's mosaicchurch.net. On behalf of all of us at Mosaic, I'm Mark DeMoz. Thanks again for listening.